Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. This week, we wrap news and events from around the world, check in with Mary Minor of Rwanda, and we chat once more with Matt Featherston to discuss the amazing work in Brazil and South America. Stick around. Welcome once again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and with me are my two co-hosts. First up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Very well, Daniel. Good to have you back. You seem like uh, you seem to be working 24-7 these days, so uh, the podcast is lucky to have you. But uh, all is well up here in Brisbane. Uh, I think it's the same thing every week. Not as as good down near you and even worse further in Melbourne, but uh, yes. nothing to complain about up here apart from people... Um, hiding and lying to get over the border to get up here into uh, the Sunshine State. From where you'd rather be is the... Uh, I cannot imagine. Is the, is the tagline. <laughs> I cannot imagine lying to get into Queensland. Well, as we are in New South Wales about to be chucked into a second lockdown potentially, uh, I ask Nick, Nick, how are you? Oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm uh, isolating because uh, you got a test last week. Brooklyn has been feeling a bit sniffly, so we had to... Go to the hospital a couple of days ago, um, so we're currently waiting for the results, which hopefully will be negative. But yes, also in isolation. So I mean, kind of already in lockdown. If you, if you want to look at it that yeah, way, yeah. And so are a lot of people around the world. So hopefully the Emerging Cricket Podcast is uh, helping you get through tricky times. Make sure to stay safe. Let's start with the ODI Super League and Ireland taking on England. England winning the series two matches to one, but the important part of this for Ireland, getting that one victory to get themselves off the mark in the Super League, 10 crucial points, which could be crucial two and a half years down the track. We know that's a long way away, but a positive start for the Irish. Uh, They were beaten convincingly in the first two matches, scoring 172 and 9 for 212, both being chased down. But the third match of the series, chasing down target of 329, Andy Balburnie and Paul Sterling with big, big hundreds. And we saw Kevin O'Brien, another veteran, come in late to to finish off the job. Quite a few issues in Irish cricket that I still think are quite important in terms of the emerging world. I know that a lot of the analysis of this series will be on the game itself. But for Ireland's cricketers, uh, we know the struggles that they still face is full members Nick but this is a positive result and and as I said two and a half years down the track this could be quite an important victory. Yeah a couple of things to look into here you know obviously the context of the Super League is really good because as you say now these matches all matter and you know England instead of it just being a dead rubber in a bilateral series it's oh well maybe those points will become really important in a, in a couple of years time down the track and I think you know looking looking at that question Ireland, Zimbabwe, Netherlands, even Afghanistan, those those four teams um, around the bottom end of the table are all going to be pretty close together, I think. So having a win against the top-ranked team, England, is uh, potentially going to be crucial in terms of keeping them above that relegation zone. And just as a, as a another thought, trying to explain this series to cricket fans in uh, you know in Ireland, just the concept of you know taking points off the the league leaders and um, you know staying above the relegation zone, those are ideas that that. You know, casual cricket fans can come to understand because that's how a lot of other sports work. Yeah, it was a bit interesting hearing interviews after the match 
of English players talking about sort of like Captain Morgan saying that, well, they still won the series and uh, that's good for the team. And even David Willey going as far as saying that he had no idea about the ODI Super League at all. Um, so, look, we had the response to the Sky Cricket piece during the test match where a certain commentator who will bring nameless out of the corner of his mouth will just go on rankings, which we know is... Archaic. Well, archaic, uh, fallible, and open to manipulation, as we've seen in the past. And, well, at least now, with England losing and with everyone boasting about how a second and third string team was able to beat anyone, it's funny to see this, the, the same argument flipped over in their head. Well, it was only our, uh, our third string team, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, look at the parallels drawn with 2011 in the World Cup, the same score, and Kevin O'Brien, well, there the whole way through to the end, but I think for the, the island that we saw in match one and two, and it's two main guys with a bat up the top of the order that had failed in those two, two matches and came through with, well, two amazing innings. I only got to see the highlights, but the way that Sterling was hitting the ball oh. over, over the onside, you know, it was the Sterling that we, we know and love, and look, it's really opened it up and... I guess this win has also probably awoken the world to what the ODI Super League means and that all these games have context. It's uh, 13 teams play eight series of three ODIs, 24 ODIs each, 10 points for a win. Every game matters. So unlike the World Test Championship where it does matter how many tests are in a series because points are apportioned accordingly, you know, every game matters so when we start seeing the tweets about how England hasn't lost a series in X number of years because you know that game against Scotland didn't matter because it was only one game uh, again it's going to be irrelevant because those points um, as you both said have put Ireland in in a great position now to to get themselves if they were ever at risk they're they're much less at risk now of uh, being in that bottom spot and potential relegation the consistent contextual cricket that will be played over the course of the ODI Super League is hugely crucial I I was looking at the Netherlands, and they'd only played 13 one-day international matches from 2012 till now. So to get 24, you know, almost double the number of matches in two and a half years uh, is the type of cricket that they need to develop and to play at the highest level because you can only learn by by doing it at the top. We've seen it with Ireland just in the course of a three-match series. They improved in the three matches, and sure enough, the last match they got the result. And while they are full members, both Ireland and Afghanistan, it's very important to discuss the financial model of the ICC when, when talking about emerging cricket because both of these countries get roughly half of what Zimbabwe do, and Zimbabwe don't get much. And finally, on Ireland, to think of all the ECB red tape and, and none of those players being able to play both county cricket and international cricket for Ireland, it's a huge issue, and we need to keep pressing on with that. The other big story this week, the Federation of International Cricketers Associations, or FICA, have released their findings once again. 277 professional men's cricketers were surveyed. Uh, Players from India and Pakistan were not a part of the survey. Uh, Some crucial numbers here, and definitely all from an emerging cricket point of view. 55% of these players feel there should be more than 10 teams at a World Cup. 86% feel the World Cup is the game's most important event. 53% feel insecure in their employment, and perhaps the most damning finding, 34%, that's over a third for those playing at home, of players have experienced a late payment or a non-payment under a contract. Uh, That's across certain leagues that have been identified to have pay issues, and just one of them are a four-member league, the Bangladesh Premier League, Global T20 Canada, the Abu Dhabi T10, Qatar T10, Euro T20 Slam, and the Masters 
Champions League. Some some really damning numbers here, boys. It's it's unfortunate. And these are players who are at you know the top level of the international game. Many of these players are playing for full member countries who have been enticed to, to play in some of these leagues. So to think that some of the associate cricketers that have been picked up in these leagues are more than likely being treated worse than that of, of those higher up. Players are the key part of these competitions products. You know, without them, we don't have these competitions. I think it, it borders a human rights issue, uh, Tim, because this is so difficult as, a, as someone who is playing the game at an elite level and not to be you know, reimbursed or, or not to be paid properly for, for the work that you're undertaking as a professional cricketer. It, it, it's very poor for the game in general. Couldn't agree with you more. In terms of protection of workers' wages uh, in any other professional industry, especially one with such, well, it's a multi-billion dollar in- industry. We know the numbers that, that flow through the game. And uh, we've talked about this before and how could it be fixed? It could be fixed very easily by having escrow accounts established at the start of these events to make sure that players' funds are protected. A bit like when a company gets wound up and you put money aside to uh, to be able to pay employees and whatnot to going through. But that that's an easy way to fix it, to say if any of these events want to be deemed approved cricket and therefore able to have overseas players, then it's not only the Chris Gales and David Warners of the world that get paid first, um, as what happens with the likes of CPL and other other events to guarantee them turning up, that every player has their money put away. And that means that fees are paid by these franchises. We've seen franchises thrown out of leagues. CPL again, St. Lucia was um, thrown out because their owner wasn't paying bills, including to players. It's just nonsense. And it's giving the game a bad name. Um, not least to mention that these events that aren't happening or, you know, in the middle of GT20 in Canada, players refusing to get on the bus. And thankfully, all the players pulled together for that to happen. Mm. But it just... You know, for everything else we've, we've talked about, I know next week we're going to have a really long conversation with Steve Richardson from the Anti-Corruption Unit of the ICC, which will bring another um, perspective to this all. I think the game is under threat from from various angles, especially from from fixes, but not paying the players. You know, and like the, the fact that there are that the T20 Slam hasn't paid players that paid contracts that they'd, they'd promised and hasn't even been run. You know, why, why should an event that doesn't pay its dues even exist? And I know there are still some very big names of the sport that were connected with these events that haven't been paid either. So don't think it's only the small guys. There are some of the big names that were attached with these tournaments and the big launches that are still not being paid as well. And it's just unacceptable. I, I could not go to bed if I was running an event like that that was not paying yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Tim's pretty much covered it. It's, it's just not good enough, you know. It's, it's unfathomable to me, really, that you could even have these issues. As you say, the players are the whole point of these leagues why does anyone watch a league we don't watch it so that we can see some administrators in suits standing around while somebody does a a sand picture we we watch these leagues because we want to see guys playing cricket and girls playing cricket too you know and this is another thing of course is that they didn't even talk to women players so it's Mm. i mean heaven knows how bad it is on that side of things too yeah exactly (laughs) exactly but i mean yeah it's it's just bizarre that these leagues as you say tim can can still exist after all of these dodgy behavior really that that it's it's not something fundamentally wrong in the ownership and leadership in these leagues and hopefully something like this will i suppose be the trigger for for some positive action in cricket once we do uh, establish these leagues again in a post-covid world uh if you want any more information in regards to some of this make sure to go back and and 
watch the the Kyle Kutzer EC live or listen to the uh, Anchi Rath and Kyle Kutzer EC pod that we did. We we talked to them last year in the wake of of the Global T20 Canada saga and the pay situation there. It was a, a thoroughly um, interesting listen. So make sure to go back. That's just the, the cruel situation of, of how it is at the moment. So something definitely needs to be done there. Some more news around the world in Denmark have hosted a six-match development tour of Norway. The Danes won both 50-over matches with the T20 split, two matches apiece. Norway leveled the T20 series thanks to scoring nine runs in the final over to chase down Denmark's 129. Meanwhile, the Danish governing body has paid tribute to Jürgen Jönsson, who passed away this week at the age of 80 after a battle with leukaemia. The DCF hailed Jürgen as the beating heart of Danish cricket for many years. To Rwanda and the Cricket Builds Hope organisation is continuing its positive work in the country. Here's Mary Miner with more and after that, part two of our chat with Matt Featherston. Cricket Builds Hope is a charity, a UK charity that uh, built the Gahanga Cricket Stadium, which is the very first international standard cricket stadium in Rwanda. And after its inauguration in 2017, the charity switched its focus to using the facility and the beautiful sport of cricket as a tool for positive change in Rwandan society through implementation of different um, social programs that address the deep-seated issues in the Rwandan community, like gender equality, addressing health issues, etc. One of the programs we implement at uh, Cricket Boots Hope is the Women in Leadership program. Uh, that uses cricket to unlock leadership potentials such as um, self-confidence, uh, self-advocacy um, and self-belief of young women aged 19 to 25 drawn from the lowest income communities around Kahanga. Um, this program is implemented in, in the partnership of uh, Resonate and Rwanda Cricket and it is funded by Comic Relief and the Scottish Government the program started uh, after identifying that more women uh, living around Gehanga are, are less economically empowered and are less involved in different developmental activities. Basically, uh, their lives revolves around doing chores at home, taking care of their babies, taking care of their husbands, and cooking day in, day out. And looking deeper into this, um, it was because, because of the mentality that um, they are not able or they're not capable to do such things or uh, or some of the things are meant for the men and for the women is chores and all this and they're not confident enough to pursue uh, different things that they would love to, to do. And therefore this program was designed uh, specifically uh, to tackle the confidence situation and the mentality situation around what they're able to do, what they can do and uh, have the confidence, the, the actual confidence to do it. Um, our programs, all our sessions have the messaging um, intentionally integrated into cricket drills. So basically they learn this through a cricket drill. So for instance, if this week we are uh, talking about uh, teamwork, they would have, they would play a game, uh, a game called Diamond, where, um, where four batters stand 
next to four stumps which are set in a diamond shape and have a bowler in the middle who bowls randomly at any of the batters and whoever is bowled to has to hit the ball out of the diamond shape and for them to make a run a valid run is when all the four batters uh, move from their stations or from their positions to the next one at the same time and therefore, with such a cricket activity, they'll be informed or they, they'll get to understand better the importance of communication into making such an activity work. So that even happens in real life when you're talking about teamwork and many other things. So basically, we have many other lessons each week, different lessons like identifying strength, goal setting and all this. But they're deliberately embedded into cricket activities to, to send out the messaging. Our methodology is uh, is that simple and it does not require you to be a graduate. Anyone, whether you know how to read and write, uh, this uh, methodology or this program works. The program has had tremendous impact in, in many people's lives, in many women's lives around uh, Gahanga, not only because of the messaging bit of it, but right from the word go, the fact that the approach is uh, of using sport. Sport within their community is, is mainly for the men and for the children. Uh, and therefore, the stereotype around sport is that women like them, mothers of uh, two children, cannot just be involved into such activity. So uh, the fact that they um, defy these odds to actually continue and enjoy, you watch them come the first day, and they're looking around if there's somebody seeing them and watch them grow to the point that they're the ones asking you, when are we playing the next game? It just shows how much they've uh, improved in terms of mentality by defying such odds. So from uh, the approach itself, it starts changing their mentality to the messaging. So it's, it has had an incredible impact around the community. When we heard that our Women in Leadership program has been recognized uh, globally by ICC and has won Runner Cricket an Award, uh, it was a heartwarming moment for us and also an awakening. It was more of an awakening call, not because um, the name Cricket Buttes Hope or Rwanda Cricket was in the spotlight, but because the impact of our Sports for Change program has been recognized, has been acknowledged globally. That was very rewarding for us as an organization because at Cricket Builds Hope, we believe that um, cricket and sports in general is more than a recreational activities. It is way beyond the talent. It is way beyond the profession. It is a powerful tool that can be used to change many people's lives within the sports circle and also outside the sports circle as well. And we hope that this will also serve as um, a message to sports lovers out there, to cricket lovers out there, to extend that love for sports even to the people outside your sports circle because it may just be what someone out there uh, needs to, uh, to turn their lives around for the better. Hi there, this is Jared Kimber. Call me, call me anytime. Oh, listen to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. You talked about the formats and and how you you know you 
pushing the softball formats for those who want that and shorter formats because a whole day or five days is is a bit much. We saw Brazil was in England during the Cricket World Cup for the Creo Cup. Talk to us a bit about Creo and what that project's about. Creo, I think, is a great project and and hopefully they're going to keep this going. It's sort of cricket anywhere, anytime, any place. Brazil actually has a street game very similar to cricket called Taco. As I said, as I mentioned earlier, when the British were here building the railways at the weekends, they would play cricket. The Brazilian local workers saw them playing this format of the game and invented their own game called Taco. Very similar to cricket, two sets of stumps put on the floor, two bats, balls. They run the same way that we run singles. Uh, they don't have boundaries. So they have this game called Taco. Uh, the Creo Cup was then brought about by the ICC about the initial of seeing other formats of the game. And I was actually part of this project before the, the Creo Cup took part uh, in London. It was called Cricket Wildfire at the time uh, and they wanted cricket to spread like wildfire and therefore they wanted to go to various countries and see how cricket or how a sport similar to cricket was being played without it being the traditional 11 aside, all in white, so all in coloured now, but etc. So Brazil have that format of the game and the other countries that went to London for the Creo Cup last year had a form format very similar and therefore the whole idea was that you showed your format and you played your format in Trafalgar Square uh, had a small competition it was a real celebration of cricket is more of a global sport than just the 12 full nations playing and hopefully this will continue there's some people that like the idea there's some people that didn't like it but I was definitely one definitely for it so just on on this taco game and it's played in the streets and it, it is quite popular from what I've read are you guys doing anything to try and sort of bring the taco players I guess under the cricket umbrella absolutely that's our first introduction or their first introduction to cricket is when we go to any new location and talk about cricket it's an alien word so you talk about taco and everyone in the in the school knows what taco is so you start by playing taco uh, and then introducing taco with a cricket bat rather than a broom handle or anything they can find to use uh, showing them that the taco stumps are only about seven inches high off the floor which is I think a great idea as a batsman that you should have a smaller <laughs> set of stumps oh that wouldn't make Tim happy. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I think that should be ICC regulation, to be honest. Well, yeah, why not? Yeah, that'll, that'll be in the next one. In. Yeah, yeah. I reckon they've got cricket just about 100% right. Seven inch stumps, sign me up. Try when they six foot five bloody spinner oh. trying to get LBWs then. Poor Sol- Solomon Cutler over there be <laughs> obsolete. No, I, th- I totally agree. I, I mean, cricket for me is a batter's game and the bowlers obviously help it help it along but um, seven inch stumps is perfect obviously uh, and then we build the game from there because they play with a broom handle uh, so they roll a tennis ball out they play with a broom handle and we say imagine if you can hit the ball well with a broom handle what you can do with the bat so they look at the size of the bat they lovely I could give it a real whack with one of these and, and therefore you, you bring it on one of our best women national team players we saw playing taco just in the park and this girl was smashing the ball everywhere with this broom handle and I just stopped with a friend and we just stopped to watch the this is fantastic and spoke with her and asked her if she'd like to come along and have a go with a cricket bat she said yes uh, she's now one of the full team contracted players that we just fully contracted and there's a there's a million people like that in Brazil that we need to find and we are actively looking for these people because taco is a perfect way to bring on new cricket players oh, sounds like taco is a perfect sport I think I might jump on and um, play taco instead if there's seven inch stumps <laughs> 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 instead of unintentionally selling the greatest game in the world to me in taco Let, let's jump back on onto cricket and i suppose the pathways become it becomes a little bit tricky you know talking about that example where people are almost being plucked off the, the street to be 
playing well, international cricket now. But in terms of the pathways and age group cricket and, and junior cricket growing into the senior ranks, typically what does a Brazilian go through to, to enter the, the national team frame? I mean, this, this pathway is growing every year. But now, as I say, we, we have about in this town between 4,000, 4,500 kids. And we have a project to start next year, which is actually opening up for, for 30,000 new participants starting. It was going to start in June this year, but unfortunately with COVID, uh, we've put that back. But the pathway to become an international cricketer is, is becoming harder and harder every year for a Brazilian, which is great for us because obviously when we started, the national team, the under-13s, the under-17s and the under-19s, we were picking from a very small group of people, which was obvious from a thing that was starting and from scratch, we were going to have less numbers to pick from. Uh, now we have a pathway in where people start with a social project, with a tennis ball in their local school projects or in their local social projects in the, in the various areas. If they like it, which most do, they can then represent their project in the project competition, in the softball competition. So three times a year, we get these people together and they play in the park. We bring together about 40 or 50 different teams playing softball cricket, and we have a, a champion of a softball cricket. Then if they like it a bit, bit further, they can then start playing hardball cricket for Posse Jacaldas, which is the town here. So they represent their town. If they play well, they then jump into the state side, which is Minas Gerais, and we have other state sides uh, like Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo also playing, which are at the moment 95% full of expats. The only real locals are coming from this one hub at the moment. But as I say, that will change as time as we grow. So they then play for the state side. Then if they play well for the state side, they then can represent the national team. Now, as I say, every year that pathway is getting bigger and harder because more people are playing. The competition goes up, which is great for us because the level uh, also rises uh, and therefore playing in international cricket in the South American championships and other tournaments that we have, the Central Americans, our standard is, is forever getting better when we're playing against the USA or Canada, who are our, our rivals, who we want to be, we want to be there. So we, we know it's still not where we want it to be, but as I say, every year it's getting better, more people playing. Once we open the fields up to 30,000 people, we joke about that as a very small part of Brazil, but that's the that's the size of Bermuda that played in a World Cup in 2010. So we know that the numbers are growing and we've, we've got the definite advantage of the size of the country. It's just making sure that we grow the pathway progressively, but also in a format that we don't lose the whole idea of cricket. We don't want to go too big and not be able to service each community uh, with competitions uh, and support from the national governing body. So it's interesting you talk about the um, the necessity to have a plan and somewhere for the people to go if they get interested in cricket rather than expanding too much and then realizing, oh, well, sorry, you can't play. We don't have the facilities for you. You know, what's the long-term plan looking sort of 5, 10, 15 years down the track of you know, getting more people in but also having the structures in place to allow them to actually you know get on the field? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key to success to make sure that we do have facilities in, in place for people that want to play. There's nothing worse if you go and do a presentation. Everyone loves the presentation. At the end of the presentation, someone steps up and says, where do I play? Oh, sorry, we unfortunately we don't have that facility for you at the moment. So we want to make sure that where we do and where we are presenting cricket, that there is a pathway in place. There is a local club, a local ground, or grounds as such. And now we have more than one ground in, in various places and that they can start playing in either a softball league or an indoor league that we have on Wednesdays 
or in the future, maybe a hardball league, which is a little bit more distant for the people that are just starting because we know what a hardball does to a lot of people. It puts a lot of people off and we don't want that to happen. We want that decision for a person to make is not a decision that's made at school as it is in England when you get to the age 10 and 11 you're thrown in with a hardball whether you like it or not that's not the case here we're quite happy as we, as I said earlier for people at 17, 18 to play softball indoor cricket for the rest of their lives they don't need to be the next hardball player but they're still part of the community so I think we, we're very conscious that we, we need to make sure that everywhere we go and take cricket there is that pathway in place for someone to jump on and start to become part of the cricket family So just looking at the, the broader state of the game in the recreational side of things. You've talked about the distinction between uh, hardball and, and modified, and you're making uh, very good use of, of the modified forms of the game. You know, how many people are playing in sort of formal red ball, whites, that sort of traditional cricket versus the number of people playing the, you know, the, the softball or the indoor or whatever else kind of modified version of the game? At the moment in Brazil, in when we talk about Brazil as a whole, there's seven states that play cricket. And we have a lot of people in those states that are expats. So if you're talking about the expat community, all of the expat community play either hardball cricket or sometimes if you're seeing the parks, a, a tape ball cricket that's very similar to to a normal game of cricket. Uh, they play with a tape ball because uh, in the parks and that's what they have. But numbers of, of children playing hardball cricket is, is growing every year and so I would say we have about seven to eight hundred children uh, when I say children between the age of 10 and, and 18 playing hardball cricket at the moment and, and every year that number is is increasing because people are coming through the system each time more and, and you get the curious people that always want to go to the next step as I said that's not stated that you have to go to the next step but some people want to they go from from taco to cricket to softball cricket to orange ball cricket and then they want the next step of the red ball hardball cricket so uh, that's where our numbers are growing uh, gradually because we haven't actually that many performance centers in Brazil that allow people to train with a hard ball uh, as we know it, it's not easy to rock up in a, in a park and start playing hardball cricket when people are having picnics and walking around and uh, you're not going to be the most popular people in the, in the towns with that so as our high performance centers and centers of cricket in Brazil grow the numbers of people playing hardball cricket and training hardball cricket in these centers is growing with it so it reminds me a bit of uh, Chris Pierce talking about the you know the grannies walking through the, the field <laughs> while they're playing hardball cricket <laughs> yeah in the Czech Republic yeah but what looking on from the hardball cricket um, what are the facilities like in terms of turf pitches and maybe looking a bit further down the track when do you see Brazil starting to bid to, to host events uh, you know with with your facilities uh, firstly I'll touch on the turf pitch and I think this is this is something that I don't agree with so much as in the ICC we actually split we have a scorecard in the ICC that splits a percentage of how much you get funding if you have turf pitches or artificial pitches my my actual argument is if you live in South America or a lot of countries that don't have the fortunate facilities that you get maybe in the UK or Australia where curators look after a wicket, you're much better off playing on an AstroTurf wicket that's going to bounce nicely, that's not going to suddenly jump up and hit on, hit on the nose, rather than providing a grass wicket that's terrible and not rolled and not prepared. So therefore, my first thing is we don't have grass wickets here in Brazil. We have grass pitches, but I tend not to use them because of that, because we haven't got rollers or groundsmen that make the ground perfect. So therefore, we play 99% of our cricket on AstroTurf uh, and on 
concrete wickets. So that part, I don't think, and, I, and I'm not sure that we will get to grasp for a while. Holding tournaments, again, I think as time goes on, tournaments should be allowed to be played, and even ICC tournaments on AstroTurf. It's a level playing field for everyone. It's a reality for everyone to be able to have an AstroTurf wicket. And therefore, we actually have South American Championships, uh, Central American Championships. We have a lovely home of cricket in Rio with four cricket grounds all next to each other with a clubhouse. They're all AstroTurf wickets, but it's fantastic. It's uh, it's easy to look after and therefore uh, I think it's the way that cricket in uh, associate nations is going to go. I really don't see that having grass wickets is going to be the, the key to success. Well, the world has just seen cricket played on hybrid wickets in Port Vila in Vanuatu and that is a, a modified AstroTurf wicket with longer fake grass that has clay over the top which is just watered and rolled is that, is that an option do you see and would that help the development of the game or at least moving on to more natural turf wickets do you see that as a potential game changer for emerging nations like brazil absolutely uh, i also watch that and very closely and, and Shane who looks after the, the team over there and, and Mark Stafford that works with Vanuatu. I think they've done a great job there and also those wickets are true wickets. I think there's nothing worse for anyone, especially someone who's starting to play, to turn up on a grass wicket, the ball lands on a length and then hits you on the chin. The chance of that person coming back the week after uh, even with helmets these days is very limited. So therefore if we can uh, use these artificial types of wicket that simulate the perfect pitch, I think that's a, a chance for everyone to do. And as I say, that rollout wicket they put in Vanuatu, they can roll those out maybe in 20 or 30 different locations, whereas a cricket ground uh, is very difficult to come across. It's just a, a purpose-built cricket ground. So, Matt, you've been re- uh, re-elected, recently re-elected as the uh, global rep of non-voting associate members of the ICC. Uh, just what does that role entail uh, and what do you think you can do in that role to continue to push uh, cricket and associate members moving forward? Uh, well, firstly, it's, it's great to be re-elected. Um, it's, it is something that obviously I I wanted to be part of and I want to be part of, as, as, as Tim knows and many of you other knows, the lower associates don't actually get much say in cricket and and that doesn't go to say that the higher associates either get much say but the lower associates get their voice through through me and therefore my job really is I get to take part in the development committee the ICC development committee meetings which I actually think is probably the best meeting in the ICC, ICC have it's somewhere where you can actually sit down with people that really want to develop the game and talk about how we can take that game forward. Whether it gets taken forward and the board actually take on what you say is is a completely different thing, but at least we sit down as a group of representatives from the associate world and discuss how we think cricket can move forward and how we can make cricket better. Now, as I say, it's very difficult. How the system works is there is actually five reps. So each continent has a representative, and then out of those five representatives is elected uh, a global rep who then takes part in the ICC meeting of the development committee. We we try our best to speak to each other over the, the months through WhatsApp, through emails, through Zoom to find out what our countries want. They're generally the same type of things. Uh, most of the associate nations are, are looking for the same thing. Now, obviously, money is, is a big thing, but 
that's not often the easiest thing to get. But working on eligibility criteria, working on distribution of funds fairly, working on all sorts of things as a global group uh, helps. And, and so my job is to try and put the voice of those 54 countries I represent uh, to the Development Committee and then uh, subsequently onto the board of directors of the ICC. So what's it like trying to, I guess, synthesize the interests of over half of the ICC's total members, you know, into, into one person and one voice? Not, not easy, but we do have a, a general consensus that, say, many people, we talked about the early Olympic Committee, there being at the Olympics is a massive point. And you could ask every member from the associate world, and that would probably be number one on most people's agenda. So therefore, there is a general consensus of, of what goes forward. Uh, we do get other things that are coming up, and you've probably read about the eligibility criteria for cricket. Is it right? Is it not right? That's being discussed. Uh, the scorecard, one of my biggest things on the scorecard is women's cricket. Women's cricket is not represented the way it should be at the moment. Therefore, should we not be looking at, and it's being looked at, uh, but should we not look to how the percentage weightage for women's cricket and men's cricket, should they not be the same? These are things that are being discussed. It is very, very difficult to get everyone's point of view forward. Uh, in fact, it's, it's impossible to get everyone's point of view forward. But we do sit down as a group, try to work out what's the general points we want to push, push on. Uh, and also, as you know, it's no good coming with a list of 50 because... Uh, even when we arrive with a list of two or three, it's sometimes not looked at favourably. So uh, imagine if you actually tipped up with a list that had everyone's needs and concerns, then the meetings wouldn't be four or five hours, they'd be four or five days. Test match worth of meetings. <laughs> Absolutely. Ganguly might like that if he uh, ends up running the thing. So <laughs> Yeah, that's. I think that vote actually comes out in the next 15 days. I know there's a board meeting on the 15th, and I know they're putting the process of of the vote for the ICC chairman. So I, I presume we will we be looking forward to who, who fills that post in the next 15 days. I'm seeing there's actually more candidates than I expected. I guess that's at the very top of the uh, politics in the ICC. How does that flow down to you guys closer to the bottom of the ICC pecking order? Not as well as I'd like it to. To be honest, it's, uh, as I say, we, we get together as a group and we are a big group. We've so there's only 12 full members and the rest are associates. So as we get together as an associate group, we feel we have some good ideas and some, definitely some good motions moving forward. But sometimes presenting that to the board and to the top 12 countries is, is not as well accepted as we'd hope it would. So without going into politics, sometimes, I, and I realise they have a different protocol there at the top, but when you're representing the, the associate nations, it's sometimes a little bit frustrating that things don't quite go the way you'd hope they would. I will uh, close out the uh, the ICC questions here. This is, I feel like there's almost another podcast there in talking about the machinations behind the scenes of, of what it means to be running a, an associate member. Taking Olympics off the top of your list and you talking about focusing on, on two or three things only to try and get that focus and consensus, what, what are the type of things at the top of your list beyond the Olympics for the, the non-voting associates? And I, I keep saying that, I, I keep thinking that we've got to come up with a, a better term or, or, or voting associates as, as you former affiliates who have become associates. But unfortunately, it's a matter of we're equal, but uh, some are more equal than others. So I guess I, I'd like to get your perspective on, on that as well, but also what the focus is um, that you're taking to those top table meetings on behalf of those currently called non-voting non associate members. 
Yeah, I mean, the lower associates, we obviously are trying to fight for the, the perfect scenario. I mean, the perfect scenario for me in the ICC would be one country with one vote. That would be the perfect scenario. Now, if we're preaching that as associates to the top table of the full members, then my next thing, my next question would be is why can we not do that among the associates? So we're through the associate members. We've got the divide, the simple divide of the associates and the non-voting associate members is if you're not in the top 40 of the associates, you don't get a vote. So therefore, what it's really saying is we're, we're equal, but we're not equal uh, because the lower, four, the lower bunch don't get a vote. They get one vote through each of their regional reps. So they actually get five votes. Um, so I think to start the whole process off is we need to be as a unit and decide if we want one vote for the ICC, we've got to start doing that with the associates first. Once we get our own house in order, we could then offer that to the, the full members, whether they agree or not, that this will happen. And one day we'll be, end up like a FIFA system where one country gets one vote. Now, that was, I say, first off. Second thing is, is funding. How the scorecard is divided up is quite important because for the associate members, when you divide a scorecard, and for an example, 33% of the scorecard goes towards your national team playing world cricket league competitions. Well, if you're in the bottom half of the table, you don't have a national team playing world cricket league competitions. So you being able to arrive at that 33% is difficult. As I say, the scorecard's changing all the time, and I think for the better. But I think making the scorecard more available for all countries is going to be the way that the, the, the lower associates could possibly become a higher associate. Um, so looking at that scorecard, as I've mentioned earlier, making women's cricket on equal grounds. So countries like Brazil and like Thailand, that you've never heard of the Thailand's men's team in a World Cup, but you have now just seen the women uh, taking part in a World Cup. Well, why should the funding be so different because they're a women's team and not a men's team? So I think we're getting to the stage where on the scorecard, we can there say, whether you've got a great women's team or a great men's team, you get the same percentage of the scorecard available to your country. Uh, so these are, these are main issues that are, are put forward. We have a, a situation at the moment where we had a surplus amount of money from the ICC and how that's to be divided between the members. That's also been a fairly big point for the, for the non-associates and the members and the, and the full associates. So there's a, there's a million things that we do put through. We try to make work, but as I say, it's, it's a slow process because we don't actually have as much power as we'd like to have. Uh, in fact, we have no power. Uh, we can make recommendations and it is just a recommendation. Whether it's accepted or not is a completely different thing. It, let me just say things for the associates are getting better. This is not, I'm not saying a doom and gloom that all oh, the associates are having a terrible time. No, we're very grateful for everything that happens. Every year that I've been part, and I think that's why I stay on and why I want to be the global representative, is I feel that there are opportunities that are being taken. Steps are slow, but things are getting better. We, we talked about this a few years ago that we had 10 full members. We've now got 12. Well, that's, that doesn't sound massive, but that was a massive step for us that the top two associates got made into full members that 15 years ago was not even a dream. So therefore, these dreams are are available to us and we are slowly getting closer and closer to where we want to be. It will be a long process, as you know, but it will happen. So we opened up 
the chat to a number of our contributors uh, at Emerging Cricket, and one of them, uh, Srinak Saka, came forward with two questions. The first one, um, he wanted to know, does cricket have any sort of mainstream visibility in Brazil? And if you wanted to watch the cricket in Brazil on television, can you access it through legitimate memes, means rather than pirated and illegal streams? Uh, unfortunately, there is no way to, to watch cricket in Brazil unless you watch it through Pirate or sometimes through ESPN, through the ICC networks. You can look through the ICC websites. But no, on, on mainstream TV, uh, cricket doesn't exist. It would be nice, but I, I think that's still a long way off. It doesn't exist in, in, in lots of countries now. Uh, if you look, if you go to England and you don't have Sky, then you can't watch cricket anymore on TV. So it's not even really on mainstream there. You're, you get a glimpse of it on the news uh, and that's all. So it is just through internet, through through sites on the internet that you can watch the cricket. Now, don't want to put you on the spot here too much, but a question that we ask every single guest on the show is that if you could change one law in the, in the game of cricket, what would it be and why? Um, I, he wants seven-inch stumps, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't say it, I'm going to say it. <laughs> uh, I'd like to. I think I'd like to adapt to law. The first thing I'd like to adapt to, I think cricket would be make a bit more exciting. I'm a big fan of making improvements to it to make the game a little bit more exciting. So my first thing would be an adaptation of the law. I'd like. That you could have almost like on a baseball a double play, so you could uh, be yeah. caught and run out. I think that I think that would be great. It would just add a little bit more excitement to the game, and uh, therefore maybe get the odd double play of a of a run out and a catch would be fantastic. Uh, I'd also I'm I'm not quite sure why the law of, of LBW of the ball pitching outside leg stump. Uh, I think that could be looked at again, and I think. A left-handers definitely struggle from that. But a, a ball pitching outside leg stump that's obviously going to go on and hit the stumps um, cannot be given out LBW, whereas a ball on the offside pitching outside off stump coming back to hit the stumps can be. Uh, therefore, I, I think that could be looked at, but I'm, I'm a big fan of the double play. Double plays have been popular. You've almost gone against the, the, the batting rights there, the batting privileges with the leg stump. I'm very surprised. I, I know. He's, he's come around, isn't he? <laughs> the C's pro cricket growth. See, it's all to make it more exciting. It's it's funny how many, uh, and, and and this means that you don't listen to enough of our podcasts and I'm very angry <laughs> at you, but um, it's funny how many people do say the double play. And Freddie last week said it, I think. Yeah, no, and and by the time we're doing this interview, the the second part of the Freddie interview hasn't dropped, so we know you're not copying him. But uh, yeah, it's amazing how many people say. That. I guess that you'd have to play around with the dead ball law, wouldn't you? Because once a wicket falls, the ball's dead, isn't it? So you'd have to say that it's not dead, that it's not be- it's not dead really until the umpire decides or the second wicket falls. Yeah. No, I just think adding adding a little bit more flavour. People like to see excitement and balls. Um, and say wickets falling, and so the opportunity where two wickets could fall. The, to be honest, as a batsman, I, I don't think any ball hitting the stumps or hitting you on the pad should be out. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a terrible rule. Uh, I always, I always did do. I never quite understood it. But um, <laughs> Cutler's going bright red. <laughs> <laughs> but 
if you imagine in, in Brazil explaining to people the LBW law and trying to explain to them that a ball outside off stump hitting the stumps could be out, but a ball pitching outside leg stump hitting the stumps is not out. And their answer is, well, why is that? Yeah. And I've got no idea. Just say, that's the, that's the laws of cricket. It's don't ask difficult questions. Because but... that's what the landed gentry decided 150 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But um, no, as I say, I'm, as a batsman, I think LBW is a terrible law. How about we just scrap LBW altogether? <laughs> <laughs> That's good we finished. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's good that you finished as we thought you would, as opposed to this, you know, pro cricket growth and excitement. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Well, Matt, it's been an honor to have you on the show. It has been a long time coming, but so glad to have you on finally. Uh, congratulations with everything going on in Brazil cricket and your role in the ICC as well. Um, keep doing what you're doing and hopefully we can uh, have you on the show in the not too distant future discussing more great things coming out of the game yeah firstly many thanks it's, it's a privilege to do part of your show uh, obviously known tim for a while and and talked about the possibility of coming onto your podcast but thank you very much for having me and and hopefully we can keep providing good stories for you and and, and tell you some more new stories about cricket in brazil cricket in south america and how our women uh, in a couple of years are going to be leading the way forward for, for Cricket Brazil and women's cricket and we can be doing more podcasts about their success later on the line. Mate, thank you for giving us an hour and a half of your time. Really, pre- well, two hours. No, appreciate it more. And, and I do listen to some of your work, not all of it, I must admit. <laughs> you got more important things to be doing than listening to our podcast. <laughs> Mate, it's been great. And, um, you know, I tears in my eyes listening to the story about the, the girls and the, and the guys going to university. It's, I'd, hopefully we get more and more people interested. A huge thank you to Matt Featherston again for joining us on the show and a thank you to all of you listening around the world. To keep up with news and events from the game's new world, make sure to jump on EmergingCricket.com. You can also find us on Patreon. But for now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.